What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and not alongside me this week is Adam Kalau, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky ass hijinks, and analysis. Normally, I'd ask Adam, how's it going? But Adam is out of town in San Diego. We were supposed to do a show last week before he went out of town, but we were unable to, unfortunately. Figured we had to get a show out before Adam got back. It would have been two weeks, so that's unforgivable. We know there's so many of you out there that depend solely on us for your Atlanta professional sports coverage. So you must be wondering what the hell has been going on. And uh, quite frankly, a whole lot, especially with the Braves and with the Hawks. So let's just dive on into it. The Braves are amazing. They're easily the best team in baseball, um, not just from a subjective fan standpoint, but they do have the best record in baseball currently at 58 and 28, 30 games over 500. Um, just we're coming off a nine game winning streak that got snapped in Cleveland, but the Braves rebounded and won that series. And this team is absurd. There's really no other way to put it. Uh, we had the pleasure of going to the game. Uh, when was it? On Saturday, last Saturday against uh, Miami. And, you know, normally when I go to a game, I'm a classic Atlanta sports fan sometimes where I'm like, oh, I don't have to get there right at first pitch. I don't have to, you know, if we miss the first inning, it's not the end of the world. But I knew, right, as we all do watching this team this year, that you've got to get in your seat when the game starts because that's when the Braves come to life. It doesn't take them a couple of innings. They, they, are, they are out in front of everybody in terms of, like, the expediency and the efficiency of offensive execution. Uh, the first inning has been unreal for this team. The, the entire season, really, but particularly during this incredible month of June that has also continued into the month of July. Uh, the Braves put up six runs in the first inning, of course, with back-to-back homers by Ozzy and Acuna. It really is like a video game offense. It, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it's, it's hard. Like People throw out all these stats, and I'm going to throw out some stats, too, here for a second. Um, but since June 2nd, the Braves have batted over 300 as a team. Average two and a half homers per game, and also have scored seven runs per game. Team slugging during this time frame has been 577. You don't see that. You just don't see that anywhere. It was funny too. I was I was thinking about it with with how good the Braves' record was in June. They were 21 and four in the month of June. And I was like, Good lord, when was the last time we lost a series? And the last time we lost a series was it was at the end of May. The last series of May against can you can you guess who who it was? I'm sure you can't. You're just, you're just lost in this uh, vortex of winning. But it was the Oakland Athletics, the worst team in baseball, who now have a 25 and 64 record. I think when they played the Braves, they'd only won 11 games at that point. Somehow he lost a series to them. And then, like Snicker did last year, he gives a speech in Arizona in June, and the rest has literally been history. And the Braves have rode this success to an astounding, you know, astounding record, being 30 games over at this point. Also having an eight-and-a-half game lead in the division over the Marlins. And the fact that they haven't lost a series in over a month, there's, no, there's nothing really that you can say about it that hasn't already been said, but I'll keep trying to do my best here. Um, and, of course, the guy leading the charge, La Bicia, Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, 21 home runs this year, 41 stolen bases, a three thirty seven batting average, and a 1,008 on-base plus slugging percentage. He's also compiled a 5.1 wins above replacement. But Acuna is probably going to steal, if he stays healthy, he'll steal 70 bases. He'll steal 70 bases easily. And something that I don't think a lot of people think about when they look at these stats, and maybe if they're not watching the Braves every day, is just how smart Acuna is. There's been a lot made, not a lot, but there's some you know, very vocal minority on Twitter who get upset 
whenever Acuna maybe doesn't hustle out a ground out to second or ground out to third or something like that. Um, but I think, you know, it's a testament to him of knowing when he needs to turn on and when he can take it easy because he is so active. He's active in the field. He's making incredible plays in the field. He's, he's an absolute beast on the base pass. Um, and, you know, he's picking and choosing when he needs to really turn the wheels on because he gets on base so much. It's not like, it's not like this is a guy hitting, you know, 230 and it's like, well, why isn't he hustling? No, this is a guy who's going to win the National League MVP award this year. And anyone who listens to this show knows I don't give a shit about subjective awards, but that is, you know, he is undisputedly the best player in the National League. You can get in the whole dick measuring contest with Otani and how well he's doing this year. I mean, they're both great players. It doesn't really matter who's the better player. They're both the two best players in baseball right now. I don't think anyone can say any differently. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that he is having the season of his life. And so if he doesn't run out of ground ball to second base sometimes, it's not something of the world because of how productive he's been. We are witnessing the Ronald Acuna Jr. that everyone told us was coming when he made his debut in 2018. And he's been a great player you know, ever since he's come up. But now he is a top two player in baseball. This is what we've been waiting for. An absolutely, absurdly amazing baseball player. So uh, Acuna, along with seven other Braves, made the all-star team. Those Braves are uh, Acuna, as we mentioned, Sean Murphy, Orlando Arcia. These are the starters. They are starting the all-star game. And then and the reserves are uh, Olsen, Albies, and Riley. And the pitchers who made it are Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder. So that's really cool. Eight Braves players going to the all-star game. Again, I don't really care about the all-star. I like the all-star game as just an exhibition. I don't really give a shit about, oh, they made the all-star team, whatever. But it is nice for the marketing side of, of baseball, for marketing your team. Everyone is going to see these players play in the best exhibition game of the year. And that's great for the Braves brand and to increase awareness of the Atlanta Braves. That's that's how I'm going to try to view awards. Is like when you, know, when you win an award, it's like if you win an award for uh, you know a movie or show or whatever. Anytime you win an award, it's good marketing. It's good for your resume. It's good for your brand. That's really what it's all about. And the Braves are showing out eight All-Stars going to Seattle next week for the All-Star game. Unfortunately, no Braves in the Home Run Derby. I, I have uh, said on this air before how much I really love. I've always loved the Home Run Derby, but I think ever since they moved to uh, the time when they, when they put you know a clock on, you have like whatever, whatever it is, two or three minutes to hit as many homers as you can. It just makes it so much more dramatic and so much more fun. And I was really hoping someone from the Braves would go to the Home Run Derby, even though I know there's that whole stigma about, oh, it's going to fuck up your swing and it might be bad for the rest of the year or you could you know, set yourself up for injury because you're taking so many damn swings, especially with the, with the, uh, the new timer. It just in- encourages you to swing as many times as you can. There's really no looking at a pitch unless it's like the worst thing you've ever seen. But Acuna, I think, was invited but declined the invitation. And I think that's fine. I know Snicker was really happy that he wasn't doing it. I'm kind of happy that he isn't either just because he's so physically active all the time. He deserves to have a little break that night because you know he's going to play, I imagine, a decent chunk during the, during the game itself. And, um, but I was hoping that maybe Matt Olson would get in there. Olson's just, had a, just been incredible ever since he got dropped to the fifth spot. Something like 330. He had 11 home runs. In June, continued to slug over 500, but he just his approach just seems to have transformed since Ozzy went to second and and Matt went to fifth. 
So I was really hoping he would be there. He's got like 28, 29 home runs right now, you know. But at the end of the day, it should still be a fun, you know, it should still be a fun home run derby. But it would have, it would have been cool to see Olsen, I think, just be driving pitches to to right field up there in Seattle. But oh, oh well, you know, no biggie. Um, still cool that the Braves are getting that many, many players into the All-Star game. On the other side of things, in terms of pitching news, Max Fried is rehabbing. He was throwing in the bullpen some this week and last week, and now it's official that he will have his first rehab start this Sunday in Gwinnett. Uh, the hope is that Freed will be back by the end of July. The other injured pitcher that we sorely miss is Kyle Wright, who still needs more time. But the good news is, is that he has begun a throwing program, but he's not quite ready to begin rehab. And there really is no timetable for Wright's return, whereas I think they are thinking that Freed may be back by the end of July, which would be a huge boon obviously, to get Max Freed back. And also, that would give him some time to hopefully, one, stay healthy, and two, get into a rhythm to help this team in October. So I still think, though, this illustrates the need for Alex Anthopoulos to go get a starter at the trade deadline. This is starting to feel like a lost season for Kyle Wright to me, even if he does return. Who knows when he's coming back? He's definitely not coming back in July. So the earliest he's coming back is what? Middle of August, end of August? Who knows how effective he'll be with so much time away from actually pitching in games and getting into a routine. Um, that just that just concerns me. My classic, you know, the classic C word for me, concern. And so with with knowing this, and also even even with Max Fried, and then I'm like, it'd be great to get him back and blah, 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 blah. Yes, obviously it will. But how effective is Max Fried going to be? You just never know with someone who's coming off an injury how well it's going to go. So I still think, even if Fried comes back and that really – really strengthens your rotation and gives you more of a bona fide top three with Strider, Freed, and Elder at this point. I would put Elder above Morton. It'd still be great to go out and get somebody. I think the Braves still have the resources to go do that. And so I've been saying this. Anthopolis needs to go get a, someone in the rotation. He needs to get someone in the bullpen. I think the rotation is still more of a need to me, even though it's been pretty solid. It's still just about the longevity. It's about being overwhelming in the postseason, right, with, with your rotation. And so who are some guys we can actually go after? How do, how do we actually make it tangible? Who is somebody out there that is available that actually could come in here? That's a realistic option. And who is, who is actually like good? Isn't like a throwaway like a Zach Greinke, right, who's washed up. How about Lucas Giolito from the Chicago White Sox? The former Washington Nationals minor league product has a 3.50 ERA through 18 starts and a 25.6% strikeout rate. Uh, he's been good. This is a guy who's had an up-and-down career. took him a while to blossom but has been solid the last few years, had a bad year last year for whatever reason, but has bounced back really well this season and uh, is someone the Braves should seriously target and is someone that a lot of teams are going to target because he's in the last year of his deal. So with Vaughn Grissom, with Orlando, Orlando Arcia locking down the shortstop position and also having, what, a two- or three-year extension for like $7 million, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, considering coming into the season, we were all just like, well, Vaughn Grissom's got to be the guy. It's like, you, you know, Archie's a fine infield backup option. The Braves don't even have a backup infielder on the roster right now, which is hilarious. Everybody starts every game. It's And then there's no backup infielder. But anyway, go back to the point. It's just like, Vaughn Grissom is blocked right now with how well Archie is playing. And of course, the Braves don't want to rush his development. Grissom's performing well. Very well in Gwinnett, hitting 310, 392, and a 452 slugging percentage. So he's having a good season. We know the defensive deficiencies are still there. He's still working on them. But is Von Grissom a good enough piece 
to put in a package for Lucas Giolito for the Chicago White Sox. Because uh, this is a team that's going nowhere for uh, the White Sox. They're 37-52 coming into today. Um, you know, why not get in on a young player that has a ton of potential and is under team control for a long time, whereas Giolito is not. And imagine that. If you get Giolito back and you, and you get Giolito and you have Max Fried, now you got a damn good five-man rotation. And there's all these questions about is it going to be Colby Allard or Smith Shaver or Schuster or Dodd. Allard's actually looked pretty good through two starts, but, you know, it's volatile, man. These, these, these guys who have not seen a lot of major league action, I can't trust them. I can't trust them. Um, Giolito would be an excellent addition to com- complement this rotation. And even if you get back Freed and Wright, and, and they're all good, that's still a guy that you're only going to have to pay, ten, you know, whatever is left of his $10 million contract, and he's an insurance policy. So, and it also makes you a little more creative in the, in the postseason. And we all know how weird the postseason can be when it comes to pitching, uh, or just in general, but especially with pitching. Like the Braves dodge a huge bullet, multiple bullets during the World Series run with starting Dylan Lee and Tucker Davidson in World Series games. I mean, that's not how it's supposed to line up. And one of the reasons that happened is Morton got hurt. Do we want to be in that position again where we've got two guys coming back from injuries? They could re-injure themselves very easily. Kyle Wright's re-injured himself after, you know, he got his shoulder treatment. It could happen again. Forearm strain is, you know, which is what Freed has, is normally like a precursor to a major ligament injury. So you want to be able to have as much depth as possible and just continue to run out these minor league guys who sometimes do well, sometimes don't, or in the case of like, particularly Dodd, has done nothing. Um, I, I'm just not comfortable with that. So we're not going to continue to hit this well. We're not going to hit over 300 for the rest of the season and hit 61 home runs during a month. I mean, I think the offense is in a great spot. They're doing awesome, and they're going to continue to be a great offense. But it's hard to imagine this pace will continue where we continue to put up this, these video game-like numbers every night. I just don't think it's going to happen. So you've got to strengthen the pitching. No one's really talking about it. And you don't really need to talk about it when you're scoring seven runs a game. This is not going to last. You need to go out and get somebody. And the hope is, too, you're not going to have to give up too much for Giolito, given that this is his last year. So it's not like the White Sox can really, uh, you know, wring someone dry of prospects. So if you get Grissom and someone else in a little package deal, maybe that's enough. Maybe not. But he is going to be in high demand. You know, teams like Arizona, teams like Orioles, uh, you know, who have some defi- more deficiencies on their pitching staff are probably going to come knocking and may- maybe are going to be willing to offer more. And particularly Baltimore having the best farm system in the game, they're going to have a lot more to negotiate with than the Braves. But I would still think this is a guy the Braves should target. And if that doesn't work out, Marcus Stroman's another good guy. Having an excellent season, 2.76 ERA in the north side of Chicago over 107 and two-thirds innings. And he's on, again, he's on a team that's not really that good. The Cubs are five games under 500. They're not dead. They aren't a real contender either. Like, you know, like uh, Giolito. It's the last year of his deal, unless he exercises a $21 million option. But the chances of him doing that are slim to none because he wants to test test out the free market in the offseason. So that shouldn't really be a consideration. Apparently, he loves the Cubs. He wants to stay. He's had a, he has a really good, you know, loves his time there. But the Cubs apparently don't reciprocate those feelings. And if they don't, then what's the point of keeping a guy on a team that's not a real contender, despite that he's having a great season for you? So that's another guy the Braves could target in a, uh, at the trade deadline. You know, there are other guys out there like Paul Blackburn in Oakland or Mike Lorenzen in Detroit. These guys are a few steps down from Stroman and Giolito. And it's not to say they couldn't contribute, but 
if you really want to put yourself over the top and really give yourself the best chance possible to win the World Series, make a move for one of these guys. Let's talk about Michael Soroka. He's finally come back from the minor leagues again. The return of Michael Soroka. He's back again. Um, Looked okay during the Marlins start, and we gave a couple of homers. His control was a little over the place. Same thing with the start versus Cleveland the other night. Uh, three walks in his last start and also hit two guys. Um, he allowed multiple base runners every inning. And he was really, really lucky that he was facing Cleveland's pretty putrid offense. Honestly, the Braves apparently hit more months, or more months, more home runs in the month of June than the Indians have hit all season. That just goes to show how shitty they are. And so he would, he would get two guys on every inning without fail, but they couldn't come around to score. So part of that's a credit to Soroka figuring out how to get out of the situation. But, uh, you know, it's also on Cleveland for not, you know, every inning. One through the first through fifth inning, they had two guys on and they could not figure it out. And that speaks to their larger problems as an offense. Soroka's still figuring his stuff out. And I hope he gets a chance to figure out what he needs to do. So we all know the talents there. We all know how great he is. Uh, but clearly, and there's also like multiple pitches, like off-speed pitches in particular, just 52 feet, 54 feet, bad pitches that were obvious balls, not competitive pitches, where you can just tell he does not have his control. So between like walking guys, hitting guys, bouncing a lot of balls, it was not a pretty start. But we, like I was saying, we know how good Soroka can be. And I think the Braves kind of gave up too soon on him. And I know they keep saying, you know, when they sent him back down the first time, I know they keep saying, you know, we don't want to have someone up here just like figuring things out because we're like in the middle of a pennant race. But it's like with how good the offense is performing right now, you have some time for Soroka, in particular Soroka, because we know how good he can be, to figure his shit out. He's not going to be able to do that if you keep sending him down if he has two bad starts in a row. We're 30 games over 500. We have time to maneuver here. And I know this maybe sounds counterintuitive considering what I just said about how we need to strengthen rotation. I still 100% believe that. But someone's going to have to emerge here between like him, Colby Allard, Smith Shaver, and you know, be someone that can provide valuable innings for you down the stretch here. And Soroka is the guy with the best track record. It's the guy we all believe in. It's the guy we know that can go out there and pitch his ass off who has fought through hell to get back. So give him some time, Braves. Give him some time. Don't just send him back down again if he goes out there for the next start and struggles or even the next start. You know, if it gets to the end of like July and he's still not performing at a high level, so be it. But I'm kind of tired of these, you know, fast moves to get these guys out of here. It's kind of the same with Smith Shaver. I know he has like no experience at this point, but it's not like he did a lot to really get himself, you know, demoted or anything. Uh, it's, it's not like he was fantastic, but he had, you know, a couple of really big moments that, you know, that uh, in that Arizona series that kind of got this whole absurd series winning streak started. You know, he provided really great, um, great relief there. He, he pitched decently in his in two starts he made, but then didn't have such a great start at one point. They sent him down. It's just like, it's such, there's just like no room for error. With these young starters or a guy who's you know, rehabbing, you know, Colby Allard's here, he's doing fine, but are they going to send him down too? And when, when he, inevitably doesn't have a good start at some point in the near future. I say just, you know, until you do make a move at the deadline or get back Max Freed, let these guys figure out some stuff, man. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. They have more than a chance with the best offense in baseball right now. So hopefully the Braves, yeah, more so Anthopolis, I guess, can just like slow his roll a little bit on, you know, 
demoting people and bringing someone up and then demoting them again because it's kind of like there's no way for a guy to get in a rhythm when they just keep getting demoted when they're not even like pitching that poorly it'd be one thing you know like dodd of course he didn't pitch well so okay he hasn't had like a good start all year but like allard smashov or soroka let these guys figure it out there's enough there we see enough potential that we know that these guys can get it together and even with soroka struggling it's not like he's pitching terribly it's just there are obvious flaws in his game right now. He's got to clean up, but he's got to have the time to do it, and he's got to be able to do it at this level. It doesn't matter if he goes back down to AAA anymore and pitches well. I don't give a shit about that. It's time for him to figure out how to do it here. It's put up or shut up time for Michael Soroka over this next month. Let him see if he can figure it out. And I'm, you know, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, but becoming more and more of a believer of Bryce Elder at this point. Um, his last four starts have been classic Elder. He's getting into at least a sixth inning every time. Inducing a lot of ground balls, not giving up more than two runs in any of those starts. And uh, his best start also came during a critical point. We were playing the Phillies uh, on the 22nd, where he went seven innings of shutout ball, only allowing three hits and striking out six. At a time when the Phillies were really on the rise. At a time when they really charged back into being a wild card threat. And even at that point, a division threat. But we took care of them and they're, you know, they're still hanging around. They're 11 games back. But uh, that was a big series, and Elder played a critical role in making sure the Phillies were not going to be a threat, at least right now, to us. So Elder's doing great, deserves that all-star bid. And that's really all I got with the Braves. We have a big series this weekend to close out the first quote-unquote half of the year, even though it's more than half of the year, against the Tampa Bay Rays, who started out so well this season. are still having a great year, but they're on a a five-game losing streak. And they've had some pitching issues, and they're not hitting as well as they once were. Uh, they're still first in the division by four games, leading the Orioles. But that'll be a great series for sure with the two best teams in baseball going at it. So that's the Braves report. Uh, they're doing amazing. This is really, as much as I've complained you know, all year about depth and rotation, depth and rotation, you've got to have fun with this shit, man. You've got to have fun with how well this offense is playing. Every game, watching every game is a pleasure. There's just an unbridled confidence that the Braves are playing with right now that is just contagious as a fan. You just get you get pumped to watch the game every night. Not that you wouldn't, but it's like you expect to go in and win every game. It's like when we lost in the extra innings to Cleveland on the 4th of July, it was like, that wasn't expected. Um, but we'll see if the Braves can continue their 10-series winning streak against Tampa Bay this weekend. And, uh, yeah, that's your Braves report. All right, now turning our attention to the Atlanta Hawks, a much more sobering uh, segment here. This Hawks have been sobering for like ever since they went on that run. Ever, uh, you know, once that happened uh, in the 2020-2021 season, ever since then it's just been one sobering segment after another about underperformance, front office incompetency, coaching incompetency. You know, star players not playing as well as they should. Um, got the news that John Collins has been traded. And this happened at the end of June, so it's not like recent or anything. But we haven't talked about it. So, yeah, John Collins was traded to the Utah Jazz for Rudy Gay in a second-round draft pick. Just let that sink in for a second. And for all of, you know, for those of you that have turned on John Collins over the last year or two, let's just play a little game of uh, remember when even though it is the lowest form of conversation. In the second year in the 2018 to 2019 season, John Collins averaged 19.5 points per game and 9.8 rebounds a game. Next year is even better, 21.6 points per game and over 10 rebounds a game. 
This is also the year he really started to figure out how to shoot the three. Shot the three at a 40.1% clip. He was an all-around fantastic, fantastic player that season. Those, those, both those seasons. And this is also when the team never figured out how to utilize him. And this was, you know, this is also a problem that continued in this year and eventually resulted in what I believe was, you know, his downfall, especially when DeJounte Murray came. It's just the usage rate just continued to decline. And the fact that they could never come up with plays for him, he's still averaging pretty much a double-double those two seasons. It's crazy. Numbers went down a little bit during the 2020-2021 season. 17.5 points per game and 7.5 rebounds. But he still shot 40% from three-point range. He's still a very valuable player. And he got, he got really banged up over the last couple of years, too, um, as well. A lot of injuries, leg injuries, that nasty finger injury that was, that was super swollen, looked like something out of a Dr. Seuss book or something. It was just grotesque, um, that swollen finger. And then, you know, it culminated in, in this season where he had the, the worst, easily the worst season of his career. Only averaged 13 points a game, only six and a half boards, and shot an abysmal 29.2% from three-point range. I don't know how you don't develop this player. What happened? Was it the constant trade rumors? Was it bad coaching? Did John do something wrong? Was it the injuries? Was it a culmination of all these things? Is there something else that I don't even know about that? I don't know. But it's really frustrating. I love John Collins' death. Still love him. I'll never forget that alley-oop over Joel Embiid. I can't remember what game of, the, of that uh, Eastern Conference semifinal that was. But, you know, the one where he grabbed him across the – like, put him in a chokehold and, and, and dunked a ball. It was awesome. He was like Trey Young's pick-and-roll Batman to his Robin or vice versa, whatever metaphor you want to use. It was, it was a glorious thing watching him play basketball when he was at the top of his game. When he developed that three-point shot, I was like, all right, now's the time for John Collins. Maybe not to be a superstar. would be a consistent, you know, 20-10 and 10 guy who can also shoot 40% from three-point range. Like, what an asset. Um it's really sad. And it's also really sad that the reason this move is made is not to really improve the team. This, this does not improve the team at all. If you think this improves the team, if you think you're getting Rudy Gay from 2006, you're sorely mistaken. Rudy Gay was a bench player in, in, in Utah. He's 37. He averaged like five and a half points a game last year. And second round picks, the Hawks don't give a shit about second round picks. They traded five of them away for Sadiq Bey last year. So this was clearly a move made to make sure that the Hawks could get out of the uh, the luxury tax. So they signed John to that you know that huge deal after the uh, 2020 2021 season, I think. So John was going to get paid fifty one point nine two million dollars over the next two seasons. Um, so uh, especially with a team that has underperformed as much as it has to uh, you know want to be in the luxury tax of this roster, you know something had to be done. As much as I poo poo the move, it's also like. You kind of screwed yourself, so now you gotta you sort of gotta bite the bullet and uh, and make the moves that you gotta move to not get into the salary cap or the not the salary cap, but the luxury tax. So I get it; it's just frustrating as a guy who loves John Collins. But there's no way in hell this team's competing for a championship, and I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the last move. I, you know, I could easily see you know Landry Fields making a move to clear Clint Capella and especially DeAndre Hunter with his. Super inflated contract. He signed that huge contract himself. It's like five years, $140 million when he hasn't really done anything. At least John Collins had done stuff. DeAndre Hunter had like 
half of a good season or something and struggle to stay healthy. I know John struggled to stay healthy down the stretch a little too, but I could I could justify giving John Collins that deal when we gave it to him because he had you know had s- such a great three year run and had finally developed his three point shot. I don't think they're in for like a total rebuild or anything like that, and they're clearly not because today the Hawks and Dejounte Murray are finalizing a four year one hundred twenty million dollar veteran max deal. As much as I like Dejounte, even though feel like he was a pretty inconsistent player and his defense was a little overvalued. He felt like a guy that came in with all these people harping on his defense, but I just feel like he's super aggressive and going after steals. And so of course he's going to get some steals, but he, he, it's not like he, and he's not as bad of a defender as say Trey young, but it wasn't, he wasn't this locked down backcourt guy that I, I was expecting in terms of all the hype around him. Still a really, you know, solid player at, you know, scored 20 points a game last year, five boards, six assists. Um, shot 46.4% from the field. You know, still still a really, uh, you know, really good player. But we saw, you know, how hard it was for Trey and Jante to coexist on the court. Trey Young's not a great off-ball player. And, you know, my hope is that with Quinn Snyder actually having a full year and having his own coaching staff, that we start to see a vast improvement in the dynamic between DeJounte and Trey and how they play together, how they can actually complement each other. And we saw a little bit of, of, of something-something building down the stretch, I think, during the end of last year. So maybe things will turn around. But you know what? I've kind of been – you know, the, the, the problem is, though, is that even if you make this move, you kind of had to after giving up, what, three first-round picks? That's another thing. This front office, man, three first-round picks for DeJounte Murray – and we thought that was going to put us over the top when you look at this personnel. It's like, let's get another point guard. We already have one, despite the fact that he's still a really good player. I don't know, man. I know it's just weird. But because you made that move, because you gave it three first-round picks for him, and the great Danielo Gallinari, how can we forget? Because you did that, you kind of have to retain him. If you don't retain him, then it's like, what was the point? But I would kind of be willing to just eat it at, at this juncture and, and try to move to Jante. I would try to move every you know as many viable pieces as possible because this team is going nowhere. This is a team that was into the luxury tax and play in the play play in round, and then got you know got beaten by Boston in the first round of the playoffs. That's what all these extensions, these trades, everything culminated to. It culminated to a team that you know is not a contender, that overspent and extended you know a guy like DeAndre Hunter when they should, shouldn't have, that you know destroyed John Collins apparently and turned him into a subpar player. Hopefully he just rebounds in Utah and goes off. I really am hoping for the best for John. Um, that traded away three first round picks for uh, you know a position that's already filled by a guy who actually has to have the ball in his hands. And yes, we needed to have someone else who could be a playmaker on the team, but that it's clear that these guys haven't, you know, don't compliment each other on the court. So yeah, it's just like decision after decision for this team. It's just silly. And I know that Quinn and DeJounte like each other. They've spoken very highly of each other. And I like DeJounte's mentality. I like DeJounte as a player, despite his deficiency. I think he's, he's an actual leader. Uh, which is something I haven't seen as much from from Trey. It's like he's very outspoken. He's honest. He holds himself and others accountable more so, I think, than, than some of the other guys. And I think especially with John Collins kind of being, you know, in a big mental funk last year, John wasn't as outspoken. DeJounte kind of became more of the emotional leader. And hopefully now that can, you know, Im- improve uh, 
going into this season, improve the overall chemistry of the team. It's a surprising move to me that the Hawks would do this. It's surprising and it's not surprising, like I mentioned, with how much they give up to get them. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens with that with, with that move um, and how this really, you know, affects the Hawks. And obviously, with moving on from John Collins, you know, that, that means there's a lot more playing time for A.J. Griffin, Jalen Johnson. You can really see how good these guys could potentially be. And that's something I think that's, a bit of an underrated aspect of this move is that really paves the way for them. But it still sucks, considering that John Collins is, what, 25, 26? Should be entering like a couple of years away from being at the peak of his powers, and and he just regressed so much. Very sad. So we'll see what happens with the Hawks. Summer League coming up with the, with the rookie draft picks coming in. But uh, don't have a lot of expectations for this team. And like I said, don't be surprised if Clint Capella and or DeAndre Hunter get moved uh, in the offseason as well. So that's your Hawks report. That's your Atlanta Zone episode. Thank you for listening. Adam will be back next week. And until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. That's what Thomas said.